Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. This is your favourite football podcast. Back for another week. My name is Jack Collins and the bag is secure. Joining me as ever, Mr. Sam Tyler Rank God. Yeah, don't worry, mate. I've put the lighter fluid away. Yeah, no burning bags in this podcast. And of course, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Hello, mate. I'm sure there are quite a few people confused by what you're talking about, but our patrons won't be. No. So basically back in January, I called seven leagues as in the bag. Um, They included Inter Milan, they included Norwich City in the championship, and they included Atletico Madrid, uh, who at the time were a good sort of nine points clear in the Liga. And it all looked pretty safe and comfy. Um, And I would like to tell you that all seven of those predictions came true, uh, which means that the bag can start again next year. We can declare that Next year, when I when I call a league title is in the bag, you may as well just assume that it's done because once again I was correct. It's very important, lads. Very important to just remember that when I call something, just believe me. Just believe me. There's no stress, no drama. All yeah, of this no, final was, day worries. I mean, there were no worries there at all, were they? Atleti for the whole rest of the season, no concerns whatsoever, no wobbles, no worries, no suffering, nothing. No, nothing. Plain sailing, wasn't it? It didn't matter. It, it was, was in the sailing. bag, and everyone knew it was in the bag. So Atleti were just making it entertaining for like those of you who, who like a little bit of drama at the end of the season, right? So I just respect them for that. Um, but ultimately, they knew, I knew, everyone else knew it was in the bag in January, and and thus it remained. <laughs> All right, enough bags. What are we on about today? <laughs> right, so we're going to be previewing the Champions League final in great depth, just as we did with the Europa League final on last week's episode. So if you are listening to this on release day and it is the day of the Europa League final, uh, then you can listen to the Europa League preview straight after this one. And you get two, two in one, a double whammy from the ranks FC boys. But before we do that, it's time to do things we love. And Sam, why don't you start us off this week? Okay, yeah, well, it would... It would have to be Milan-based for it to be completely and utterly on-brand for Sam Tai this season because, as many of you have heard and you know, I've taken a real shine to AC Milan this season. I think as a podcast we have, we've been supporting their quest to return to the top four in God knows how long. And on Sunday, against the odds, I guess you could probably say, away to Atalanta, they did it. They won 2-0. They managed a game that very frequently, when they've played them before, has really just gotten away from them really badly. In fact, they've been conked by Atalanta a couple of times in the last two years. It was nervy, but they played it smart. They won 2-0 in Bergamo and they secured second place in Serie A and returned to the Champions League. And that's just kind of paved the way for good things to happen. You know, Ficaro Tomori is going to join Milan on a permanent basis. They now actually can afford to sign his, his buy option. And for Kyle Tomori will join Milan. And they've also secured a deal for Mike Magnan, the Lille goalkeeper. And this is because the Donnarumma saga continues to roll on and on. He's got like 25 days left on his contract or whatever it is. Min Ariola is being somewhat Mino difficult Iola. with the renewal, it seems like. And look, Milan have had to act. You know, they can't, they can't head into June with 
Donnarumma thinking, well, we might be our goalkeeper, but he might not be. That's not what smart clubs do. And one of the reasons we've kind of latched onto Milan over the last couple of years is because their transfer strategy has been very concise and very well thought out and very smart. Now, they've, they've waited for Donnarumma as long as they possibly can. But at a certain point, you know, you have to pull the plug and you have to start making alternative plans. And as far as alternative plans go, 15 million euros for Ligue 1's best goalkeeper last season, Mike Magnan. Pretty good alternative. Pretty good plan B, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's good business, isn't it? It just it makes a lot of sense. Obviously, there's reasonably close ties between the ownerships of Lille yeah. and AC Milan. So it's not a huge surprise. And I wouldn't be surprised if... AC Milan go back and, and dig further into that Lille side, to be perfectly honest. We've seen the French footballers has struggled a little bit this year in terms of the finances. And you can imagine that there's going to be some, some big sales out of Liga and Ligue 2, to be honest, going forward this summer. Um, and I expect that Milan, especially as you know, we're speaking about them having a quite concise, having a tight transfer budget that they've used well, I think they'll look at that and think and see it as, as a real opportunity to, to strengthen this side going into the Champions League next season. Yeah, absolutely. They, t- they took Rafa Leal from Lille, didn't they? I know we'd obviously come via sporting, but um, that Lille to Milan path seems to be, well, it's, it's well-trodden and it's uh, it's getting a little bit more heavy, heavy beaten. So Poor yeah, Lille. They're supposed to be celebrating a league title. They just lost their brilliant goalie. Jonathan Ikone is being linked to Borussia Dortmund. That's not yeah, good. Renato Sanchez could leave. There's, there's, yeah. there's, there's, there's a lot to happen at Lille and probably a good chance to say well done to those guys as well. They managed to pull it through, didn't they? Sunday night was also a little bit nervy for them but they did it, didn't they, Dino? Yeah, they were good. We were a bit worried about them because they'd been very nervous the week before against St Etienne and they drew nil-nil and I could just see this this scenario where they failed to win again and PSG leapfrogged them on the last day and see Neymar dancing on the pitch with another trophy and I I didn't want to see it this time. I didn't want to see it because you see that all the time. I wanted a new winner. We got one because Lille won 2-0. So well done. Yeah, they won 2-1. 2-1, sorry, yeah. There was a lot of changes this year, right? We, we saw a lot of dynasties ended. Um, and, and it's always nice to see in some ways. And you look at actually the Premier League where the top four ended up being the form richest clubs in the competition and, and Leicester losing out on the final day is obviously a little bit disheartening in some ways, right? Obviously, you know, no one's knocking the ability of, of City and how good they've been this season. And I don't think anyone's knocking how much United have improved. Um, Liverpool's resurgence was impressive in its own right. And Tuchel's been excellent since he, he's come into Chelsea, but it did feel a little bit same old, same old in some ways. And, and yet across Europe, there were changes and, and changes are always nice to see. Yeah, we've got, what, Sporting, first title in, what, 20 years or so over in Portugal. We've got Lille in France. We've got Atletico Madrid in Spain. We've got Inter Milan ending Juve's dynasty in Italy. That was a, there was a lot. There was a lot, and it was it was enjoyable. I guess, I guess having all the leagues change hands was probably a little bit too much to ask. Yeah, no, you, can, you can't have everything at once. DJ. So well done, Bayern. Yeah, well done, Bayern. You did <laughs> do well to hold on to your dynasty. Fair play to you. Um, DJ, what's your thing we love? I never thought I would say this because I haven't been a huge fan of him throughout his career, but um, obviously I've loved La Liga title race this season, haven't I? Uh, <laughs> mainly to wind you up as Atleti started to throw it away, but I love... I, Louis... I don't know what you're on about. Like, literally, <laughs> Atleti never went to throw it away. Atleti just won the title once I called it in the bag in January. I loved um, seeing Luis Suarez at the end of of the game um, at the weekend as Atleti sealed the title and he scored the final goal, his 21st goal of the season, the winning goal in, in that game and the, the goal that absolutely sealed La Liga for them. And he's literally on the pitch crying as he's on the phone 
um, to his family and just all the emotion of the past year just coming out of somebody who, you know, you see, you know, he's not been the nicest man on the pitch at times. He's got that anger and venom in him. He's a, such a, a character, isn't he? And, it, and so much of his play is based around aggression and basically being nasty. And it's really, really nice to see like that moment. And then in an interview afterwards, hearing the true Luis Suarez and like what everything meant to him. And he said, you know, they, they were tears of happiness on the pitch because of the situation I was in and Atleti gave me, gave me the chance to continue at an elite level. Basically Barcelona no longer believed in him. And he said, they wouldn't, they didn't tell me as such. They, it was, sounds quite cowardly to be honest, the way he describes it, because he says, you know, Ronald Koeman came to tell me he doesn't have me in his plans. He wants a different kind of number nine, but he also said as part of that discussion, they told me to tell you. And he said, well, why are they telling you to tell me? Why don't you decide? And he said, if you're still here, I'm going to count on you to play against Villarreal. And he was like, OK, well, I came to, he said, I came to realise in that moment that um, he doesn't have a lot of character. He wasn't a, a coach. It all comes from above when it comes around Ronald Koeman. And then he talks about getting to Atleti in a really difficult moment. His family had to move. There was a lot of suffering. He had a knee injury. He had to prove himself. Atleti take the chance on him. And throughout the season, there's been suffering. There's been tough times as a team. There's been tough times as an individual. He says he missed a lot of times with his son and he's had his wife, you know, going through all of the stuff with him. You don't see any of that throughout the season. All you see is the man in the football kit. But there's all this stuff going on his head that you don't realise. And I just loved hearing the other side to it. And watching it I guess pour out of him in that moment after the match so well done Luis Suarez 34 years old Barcelona writing him off he goes to Atletico Madrid and while Barcelona have a nightmare season he's there winning him a league at 34 and he'll be there again next season well done mate fair play yeah uh, I mean it is a remarkable story isn't it and it's a story of of really kind of fighting through when people were writing off and and you look at Barcelona and especially when we heard the stories about how that you know how it transpired and they were like right you can leave but not to certain clubs and then for not to include Atleti on the mm-hmm. list of clubs he couldn't go to because he didn't yeah. consider them a rival for them then to be pipped by Atleti to the title and uh, they had to pay him some of his wages as well oh, yeah, for a yeah, yeah. as well the they paid, well. They they paid Atleti to win, to win the, the league. title <laughs> <laughs> which to be fair to them is a great strategy to deny Real Madrid winning it so yeah, I mean maybe true. you've got to look at Barcelona and say fair play you've uh, you, you've set out what you set to 14 chess there isn't it absolutely Absolutely. Absolutely. They are playing chess while the rest of us were playing checkers. Um, I have a couple of things I love this week. Um, and the first of which is Joaquin signing a new one year contract at Betis. The man is 40 next month, 40 years old, and he will lead Betis back into Europe next season. Obviously, mad, Europa League on the final day of the season. Um, and, and, and Joaquin will be at the helm when European football is reintroduced to the Via Marine. Next so year. you'll get to go and see him in the flesh next season, will you? I get to see him lead Betis out one more time, probably in the Europa League, um, nice. which makes me incredibly happy. Um, mm. Is the kind of thing that stirs my soul. And the video that they released was this sort of little old lady from Betis or from Sevilla, who was a Betis fan. And she was doing this thing about how she quit teaching at 65 and became an actress. Um, and then she was like, did all these things. She was like, when I talk of happiness, I talk of Betis, my Betis, Joaquin's Betis. And, and it all kind of goes on. It goes, and all I say to people is when they tell me it, the world no longer belongs to the old is I'm still going. 
are you Joaquin? And it's like she cuts to the two of them and she's putting the armband back on his on his arm. And it's like, oh, OK, this is all very emotional. Oh, and wow. there were tears shed. Oh. Um, it, was, it was lovely. It was <laughs> lovely. So that's it. Um, and I'm going to I promised this. So I'm going to deliver it. Um, something I love, full stop, is the Europa Conference League. The idea of the Europa Conference League. I've been on board for a tertiary European competition for a long time. Now, I will be honest and say that the name, I think we could have done a better, a better job with. I'm not wildly sold on the name. But as a fan of football of adventure of excitement of more clubs getting to experience the things that I got to experience when Fulham went on a European run in 2010 and sold me that dream in the Europa League the reason why I think I fell in love with that competition so hard the fact that more clubs are going to be able to take a road into Europe I think has got to be an amazing thing for fans of those clubs and and ultimately I look at football as the fans game right we've spoken about it a lot this year we've spoken about the fact that it belongs to fans, not to finances. And it belongs to fans, not boardrooms who have no idea what the soul of the game is about. And suddenly people are looking at the Europa Conference League and going, well, you don't want to be in that competition. And I'm saying, you're nuts. You're nuts. And we're starting to see the memes. We're starting to see the jokes. And I understand that, especially in the UK, you know, everybody seems it takes ages to get used to anything new happening. And for a while, everything is looked at as something new can't be worth value. Um, but I look at this competition and I think you look at some of the names that are in it in terms of clubs who are experiencing this for the first time, clubs who are experiencing this journey for the first time. And I look at, at Santa Clara, right, who come from the Azores, which is, you know, uh, some islands that don't that belong to Portugal, but they play, it's an archipelago in the middle of the sea. And they finished in the qualification spots for the Europa Conference League. And you look at their history, they've had one, one European run in their history. And that was in the Intertoto Cup in 2002, 2003. They're getting an opportunity to play Europa League football. You look at Servette in Switzerland, who nearly went out of business, who were relegated a couple of years back. They're looking now at the first time they might be able to qualify for a group stage in, in European history. You look at FC Slovakia, who are obviously uh, a Czech side. Um, and they will play in European competition for the first time. You look at Sochi in Russia, they will play in European competition for the first time. You saw the celebrations at Union Berlin at the weekend when they qualified with a last minute goal from Max Kruse, right, to, to qualify. And their last thing was they got to the second round of qualification for the UEFA Cup in 2002. Their only other runs were Intertoto Cup runs. These teams, are getting the opportunity and the fans of these teams are getting the opportunities to play in European competition again for the first time, you know, or, or for the first time in a lot of their fans living memory, they will get to go on these adventures, they will get to experience the things. And I think it's got to be seen as a massive, massive up. And what the Conference League is, is basically they've, they've changed the Europa so it's a little bit smaller and they've shifted the onus of club associations who are a little bit lower down the rankings to basically make it work. So the top five associations, uh, one to five, Spain, England, Germany, Italy, France, you imagine, they only have one team each in this competition. So at the moment, those teams are the likes of Spurs, Rennes, Union Berlin, Roma and Villarreal. Although if they win the Europa League final, that spot will go to Celta Vigo, I believe. And then the next couple down, so you're talking your Portugals, your Russias, your Scotlands, your Denmarks, they have two clubs in it each. And then the sort of ones below that, so you're talking Switzerland, Serbia, Croatia, 
Belarus, Azerbaijan, Poland, these sides, they all get three in the competition. And it means that people are getting to experience things that they've not been able to experience before. And I think that's got to be seen as something great. And I was looking at one of the clubs that's qualified from Hungary, who are called Ujpest, right? They play in purple, which obviously is, is a good start uh, in terms <laughs> of getting my, getting my heart on board. Um, but Ujpest were once a massive force in European football. They reached the semi-finals of the European Cup, which is obviously now the, the Champions League. They reached, they won the Coupe des Nations, which was basically the preliminary competition to the European Cup. They won the Metropa Cup, which was a Central European Cup competition. And, and these are aside, the, you know, French for us are their biggest rivals. And, and you look at them and you go, you once were a, one of the giants of European football and suddenly they're getting an opportunity again Again, to, to go on this path, to go to, you know, to go for European glory, to, to experiment with, with playing teams across the continent. And I just love that. I love the idea that they're going to, to experience that, experience it again, get that club back to, to a place where they're like, yeah, we're competing on a European front again. And all of the vitriol towards the Europa Conference, people being like, oh, I'd rather not qualify. I, I think it's such snobbery. And like the idea that you wouldn't want to qualify for a competition and compete across Europe with some of these away days, some of these places for fans to go and experience new things, it's, it, it, it baffles me. It breaks my soul a little bit. Jack, question for you. Are they doing that thing? You know where if you finish third in your Champions League, you drop into the Europa League? Mm -hmm. Does third place in the Europa League drop into the Conference League? So what's going to happen now is there's a change of system so in both the champions league and the europa league so in the champions league now the third place team will play a playoff against the second place teams in the europa league group stages to qualify for the knockout rounds which will go down to 16 and in the same way the third place team in the europa league groups will play the second place team in the conference league groups to get into the knockout rounds where they will therefore play a round of 16 so eight teams qualify automatically the group winners for the knockout stages and yeah. then the second place teams will play the third place teams from the Europa League in a playoff to join them. And then it will be drawn. Okay. Okay. It's a bit like facing relegation playoff, isn't it? If you finish second, you're like, oh, you might get relegated. Yeah. Down, down to the bottom. Um, I wish they'd have called it the Europa Adventure League. Uh, that would have been good. I mean, it would have been amazing. And it would have allowed us to use um, Frodo memes from Lord of the Rings. Um, but... I think the name aside, I'm pretty pumped for this. I got to say, I'm 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 pretty interested in the Conference League, and I look, look I'm not I'm not as into it as Jack, but I also don't really have this kind of snobbery, and I, it does perplex me uh, some attitudes towards this. A lot of the clubs think they're they're above this, and they're clearly not because you need to look at where you finish at the table, mate. Uh, that's that's kind of how I feel about it. And for Arsenal fans and Tottenham fans, and I just couldn't. I couldn't believe that, like at least half of them, seemingly just didn't fancy it at all. Like this is this is a great this is a great opportunity. It's a great adventure. I, I yeah. think the snobbery comes from people who don't go. That 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 would be my take on the matter. I think if you are a match going fan and you go away with your club, the idea of going to Astana and going to Santa Clara or, or going to Servette is is amazing, right? You're you're experiencing new things. Football is about experiences. It's about adventure. It's about learning. It's about meeting. It's about all of the above. Right. And sure, it's about winning 100 percent. And you want it to be competitive. And, and, and we always ask for meritocracy, which is why we hated the idea of a Super League. But it's got to be about earning your keep. And if you finish seventh in the Premier League, then, then I don't know what more you want. Like you, you, You've reached Ooh. this level. Right. And um, my final piece on this is uh, Santa Clara, who I've mentioned already, could face Astana in Kazakhstan. Right. Which would be a 17 hour plane journey. <laughs> from one to the other it's probably the longest away trip of all time 
I reckon, if, if he yeah. manages that one. Um, so I'm just going to put it out there. If they do draw each other, I'm pitching an idea that someone just basically goes, right, go on then. You go on this journey with, with one of these teams to, to play. Yeah. And I think it'd be a, an adventure. Definitely. Yeah. Fair yeah. play. Yeah, you're the perfect man for that, mate. Yeah, travel man, Europa League, yeah. <laughs> Europa Conference League edition. Me and Sam <laughs> will just stay at home for that, but you just you just send us voice notes or something. We'll put I'll them ring out. in. Yeah, I'll ring in from the Azores. <laughs> we can uh, we can all have a go. All right, cool. Um, well, now I've you know gone for a rant about the Europa Conference League. It is time to turn our focus to Europe's top tier competition. And after break, we're going to be previewing the Champions League final. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time to look at the Champions League final in earnest. Uh, last week, obviously, I led the chat, the Europa League version of this. But Sam, I'm glad to be back in the host chair and I can just chuck it to you this time around. Yeah. And what better way to prepare for a Champions League final than to talk extensively about the Europa Conference League? So well done, Jack. Great sense of timing on you for that one. But I'll take it from here. And uh, I'm actually going to copy your format from last week. I thought you did a fantastic job. Thanks. Man. Uh, you did three things to watch. Three reasons for one team to be confident. Three reasons for the other team to be confident. And I have pirated the hell out of it. And we're going to go again, mate. Excellent. Let's get into it. So three things to watch. And in at number three, I'm going to put Pep's tactical tweak question mark. Because you know what he's like. Now, you know, I don't necessarily buy into the overcomplication theory that a lot of people do. But it's fair to say that Pep Guardiola continues to tweak his team and his formation and his style and system on the big stages because he does it in every game that he takes part in. And over the course of this campaign, sure, people have suggested that he hasn't overcomplicated things, but that's only because they've won all their games. He's changed his team. He's played 4-3-3. He's played a striker. He hasn't played a striker. He's played 4-2-3-1. And against PSG, he set up in a 4-4-2. A 4-4-2, Pep Guardiola. Hang your head. But it worked because all they had to do was counter-attack. They were in a really strong position. And obviously, when you're concerned about the kind of pace that Kylian Mbappe offers, that's fair enough. So don't think it's beyond Pep to change something here. He's been doing this all season. It's not as if he suddenly atoned for his sins and his errors. He's, he's, he's back at it again. The difference is you don't notice it because he's winning rather than losing. So... One huge thing to watch here, and particularly for Thomas Tuchel, is what does his team look like? No one can say with any confidence, as per usual. Mm, yeah, it's definitely, it's, it, there's going to be as much excitement about those team sheets as there is about the first kickoff, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the fact that, that Pep does switch it up, the fact that we don't know exactly what's going to happen in terms of how he's going to shape this, I think is maybe the thing. And, and also there's the kind of key question of, of Sergio Aguero, right? Who is now playing his last game of football ever for Manchester City. And while there was obviously the elements of fairy tale at the weekend with the Premier League and the fact that he came off the bench, scored twice, showed he was still, you know, an absolutely lethal marksman in the box. There is this kind of overwhelming feeling, Dean, that he hasn't really been utilised very much in, in the last couple of weeks, even though we know that this is his swan song at City. And the question remains, is he going to make an impact in this final and, and, and give him that fairy tale ending that he obviously wants? Or is Pep going to be like, nah, I know what I want and uh, it's got nothing to do with you, I'm afraid, Sergio? Yeah, I mean, Aguero has been quite frustrated by the way that the end of his Man City days have, have been played out. I think he's been quite frustrated by it all. Um, certainly, I think he would have expected to play that last game of the season from the start didn't got like what 25 minutes or so still managed to score two goals to make sure he ends with a bang but 
Um, yeah, I think that there are reasons that Aguero will probably talk about once he gets to Barcelona that um, were frustrations in his last year beyond just being injured. Um, but ultimately, he hasn't spoken out about any of it because he has so much respect for Man City. This fact that this has been his club, his city, really, he's taken them to the heights that they've reached. Okay, that this is the the ceiling they've been aiming for. They want to break through and actually win the Champions League. And you always imagined that Aguero would be part of the team when they do that. It might be that he doesn't. It might be that we don't see Aguero in this final, but what a player to have on the bench if, if you're looking for that breakthrough. So I think we'll probably see him at some point in this game, but it's probably fair to not, not expect to see him from the start. I mean, Aguero and his potential dream send-off was actually my number one thing to watch here, boys. So you've 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 jumped in, but we'll, we'll continue it. And I'll just I'll just say, and it's also important here is that um, I don't expect Pep to be remotely sentimental here. You'd be you'd be mad to be sentimental. And I know it's Sergio Aguero, and I know it's a big occasion, and I know it's his last game. But while I could never profess to be able to second guess Pep Guardiola, I'm pretty confident here that Sergio Aguero ain't starting this final because they are just too good at playing without a recognised number nine at this point. They are way too good at it. And Aguero's dream send-off, which is, for me, the thing to look for here other than the actual result itself. I mean, if he has the dream send-off, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a goal off the bench. It's an extra time strike. It's potentially a winning penalty in a shootout, but it's it's not it's not going to be a, a 90 or 120-minute performance of Sergio Aguero. So I don't think it can be his dream, but... He still could be the one, couldn't he? Yeah, I mean, he he could be the one. And and it would be only fitting. I saw someone post a thing earlier that over 10 years in the Premier League, 10 years, he has averaged a goal contribution every 86 minutes. That is unbelievable. It, it's absolutely silly numbers. And, and when you look at that as a as a contribution and his look back and you and you go right if we need something in this final who do you trust to be the man that would actually step up at that point and and get it done it, you know that you have that ability on the bench and, and look we talked about Luis Suarez right at the top of this show and we talked about the fact that Barcelona were like mm, we're not sure that you have much to offer us anymore um and then he's gone and made the difference for Atletico and I, I do think there's something not in the same way because Man City are clearly not casting Aguero off in the in, in the same manner, right? They are they are giving him his send off and letting him, you know, walk away with his head held high. There is no kind of feel that this is divisive, but there is that element that Suarez has gone. All right, I'll show you what I'm capable of. And I think there might well be an element of, of Aguero here being like, if he does come on, being like, I am still the man, mm. and don't you forget it. Yeah, well, he said, didn't he, a long time ago, he said he's not leaving City till they win the Champions League, to be fair to him. So um, he's basically got to win this. Yeah, there's <laughs> no option. He, he's got to step in. But and look, my other key point here to round off the three, and it, it, Aguero does play into this, which is just big selection calls ahead of this game. And yes, it relates to Aguero, but you could extend it beyond that because Pep Guardiola will have uh, a call to make in terms of midfield shape and therefore... After that, a call to make in terms of who he plays in midfield and whether or not we see Rodri, whether we see Fernandinho or whether we see neither because there have been Champions League games this season where neither of these two gentlemen have played any football at all. And look, they're both great options to have. Rodri has stepped into the primary role as the number six here. But as we've crept towards the end of the season, I'm sure you guys have noticed Fernandinho being called on more and more in very important games in the Champions League knockout games as well. Pep Guardiola is kind of turning back to him a little bit and going, I know exactly what I'm getting out of Fernandinho. He is perfect for my system. And so I'm interested to see 
who gets the nod, if any of them get the nod in this game. I expect one of them will, but I, I couldn't say for sure who it would be. And then on Chelsea's side, obviously, they've always got question marks. I mean, is Azpilicueta going to play as a wing-back again? Or are they going to pop it back into central defence and play you know, Reese James there instead? Or is Reese James going to be in midfield? Or you know, does Alonso get the gig? Because he got the last cup final. I mean, no one agreed with that. But does he get it? I mean, I don't know. I don't, it, it's, it's going to be very interesting. And I reckon it's going to be at least one call in the Chelsea line that people go, oh, mm. you what? I was looking at the, um, obviously they met in the FA Cup semi-final and Chelsea won one nil. And that day, actually, Fernandinho and Rodri started for Man City. And um, that was a very out of sorts Man City performance that day. And, you know, it was strange selection wise in that it was an FA Cup semi-final and they started with Mares, Foden, Bernardo, Carl Walker, Gundogan, John Stones, Edison, all on the bench that day. Mm. Um, an FA Cup semi-final. You know, there was a moment in time when that would have been one of the biggest games in Man City's season. And such was their focus that they took away, came away from it. And I know that Chelsea made a few changes that day as well. But yeah, it's it's fair to say we won't be seeing that Man City again here. And um, yes, probably. You know, I think... Well, the, well, the end of Premier League, I think they won one each, didn't they? I think that they won three... One, I believe, Man City the first time around. Um, I think Chelsea got the better of them the second time they met, but it was. Uh, it's a really it, tough call here in terms of what it goes with selection wise. But you're right; like those positions are are, are probably the keys. I well, think I mean, Fernandinho starts here. But I, I'd be very, very surprised if Fernandinho does not start the Champions League final. Um, I, I, with with Chelsea, I think it's more complicated. I I, I think that, that there's this element that Tuchel seems to trust Alonso. Um, obviously the man who popped up with the winner in this game yeah, in, in the last meeting between the sides. So there yeah. is that element of it. But also, you know, he just doesn't seem to, to like Chilwell quite as much as as he likes Alonso. And, that, and that's where he's at. Look, that's that's Thomas Tuchel's prerogative, right? But yeah. I think the, the question about the injuries in the middle of midfield is a very tricky one. And and I'm intrigued to see now whether he goes with Reese James in there. We, we spoke about it in terms of on, on Monday's pod that... Reese James came in. He had a bit of a dodgy five minutes when he moved into the midfield, and then he calmed down and, and was really good and, and and did really well. And we I saw him, you know, play that role for Wigan extensively last season. Um, and, and and yes, obviously it's completely different. I'm, I'm not trying to compare these two <laughs> as 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 the the be all and end all, but he was excellent there. Like found his feet in the championship. There was moved there because he was just so good that he needed to be on the ball more and literally in the side more. And um, so I'm intrigued as to where if there is injury problems with obviously N'Golo Kante, but you know there, there, there's question marks over over Jorginho and Kovacic and, and what happens there that if Reese James is moved into the middle of that midfield. And I suppose the one thing you haven't mentioned here, Sam, is the potential injury to Edouard Mendy, right? And, and yeah. whether Kepa starts this final. Well, sorry, I tried I try to look at the updates as best I could before recording. And it looks like Kante and Mendy, they're suggested that they will be fit. But obviously, you never really know. You would, well, you would suggest that if you were Chelsea, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and those two, obviously, they need to be in big time. Um, and of course, the other selection dilemma up top for Chelsea, even aside from that, is... Um, you know, does Kai Havertz start or do you play Ziyech or do you play Pulisic or what, is, it, is it Mount and Pulisic and Werner 
or is Havertz in and Werner's slightly wide. There are a lot of different ways that Thomas Tuchel can go here, and no matter what, no matter what he does, he will upset someone. He's gonna, um, he's, he's gonna start Tammy in the biggest vote. But the whole, <laughs> the whole of the season thus far has been one build-up to making everyone think he hates Tammy, and then he's going to unleash him in the in the Champions League final. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I'd love to see that. 4D uh, chess, mate. 4D chess. 4D chess. All right. Those are the uh, those are the key things to watch. And uh, I think we can we can move on to to Chelsea here, mate. Yeah. Uh, so three reasons why Chelsea should be feeling confident. And at number three, I've put they are a good tactical match for City. You know what City are about. You know how they overwhelm teams. You know how they trap you in, and they go and they go and they go, and you can't get out. And eventually one of the runners will go untracked. It's probably going to be Phil Foden. But eventually City just get the better of you. They wear you down. They pincer you in. They retain this ridiculous width. They tire you out. And when they trap you in your own final third, it is just a matter of time. And the only way to really combat that is to either be exceptional at counter-attacking, which Chelsea are. They're one of the very few teams this season that have been able to get the better of Manchester City on the counter. I know it sounds simple. Yeah, just counter-attack. But City are so good at shutting off the counter that very often teams can't even do that, which is why they end up conceding so many. And the other reality is that Chelsea can also control parts of this football match against City. They can play on the ball. They can have a 10 or a 15 minute spell where they put City under pressure because they are good enough to do that. And City don't really come up against that very often. There aren't many teams around in the world that are actually able to subject City to that much pressure and keep the ball away from them and dictate the tempo of that game. So those two reasons alone give Chelsea a chance here and give them confidence where... 99.9% of teams have basically already beaten before they start this game. Mm. Yeah, I know. I think it's a really good point that, that a lot of teams are beaten before Chelsea, you know, before City even kick off, right? And it, you look at it and you just think there's absolutely no way that you're going to be able to see this off. And we've seen it in the Premier League over and over and over again this season, right? That that even when teams think they have the best of City, they don't really. Now, that's not to say they're, they're invincible. That's not to say they're unbeatable. But it is to say that most of the time when you expect City to win, they win. Um, and, and you can't say that about, you know, pretty much anyone else in, in no. the Premier League. In fact, we've talked about Chelsea actually losing when we least expect them to. Um, and, and it's been kind of a weird little feature of this of this Tuchel side, right? You look at the Aston Villa game at the weekend, you look at the Arsenal game, you look at the, the West Brom game, you look at the Porto game. All of these games are a bit like, hang on, you lost. <laughs> and, and but maybe that's a sign of how good Tuchel's Chelsea have become. But there is an element of actually City who you expect them to beat people. And, and I don't think that Chelsea will feel like that. I don't think Chelsea will feel overawed by this. No, not at all. Not at all. And um, you know, playing into that is is another another reason here, which is they have already beaten Manchester City twice this season, as Dean has sort of suggested about 10 minutes ago or so. And look, I don't know how much confidence you can 100% take from this, especially when you look at those City lineups. The FA Cup semi-final was... You know, you've got um, Gabriel Jesus and Raheem Sterling starting that game. And the reality imagine, is imagine that, a year ago saying that is a bad thing. I know, but the, yeah, it's mad, isn't it? But the reality is that that is, that is the rotated cast of City. And then, of course, the league meeting recently. I mean, I'm pretty sure Guardiola just wrote, wrote that game off. 100% wrote that game off. He played a back three with Nathan Ake in it and Benjamin Mendy was at wing back. He did not care what happened in that game. But at the end of the day, they still wins. And these Chelsea players played in those games and they're going to step out onto this pitch and they're going to play against a team in sky blue shirts that they've recently beaten. 
twice. twice. Like this, you've got to, as a professional, you have to take confidence from that. And like, this is a, obviously a massive game, as big as it gets in the domestic calendar. There are going to be some nerves. And to look out and see a team that you've recently beaten twice, well, it should settle you down a little bit, I think. Yeah, I, I think you're completely spot on. I mean, DJ, you know, we talked about the rotation. We've talked about that. But, you know, as Sam mentions there, it's it's two wins from two. You know, two over Guardiola. He's He's got the edge here in, in, in some ways. You look at his record and, and we know that Pep Guardiola respects Thomas Tuchel a hell of a lot. We know that when he was at Bayern and, and, and Tuchel was at Dortmund, there was that element that the Pep went, yeah, this guy, he's the real deal. And, and they spoke at length and they had conversations. And, and there, there's an element of that that you can see why why he likes him. You can see the tweaks that Tuchel get, makes in game. You can see how he sets his teams up. And, and it's obvious why Guardiola likes him. And I suppose that in, in that, the reason that Pep does like him is there's probably a little bit of kryptonite in can he out-tactic me? Yeah, exactly. I mean, Guardiola's had his eye on Tuchel for years. There's a, there's a book called Pep Guardiola, The Evolution. And mm-hmm. um, within that book, the author talks about how he, in 2015, asked Guardiola to name, you know, the two coaches with the greatest potential. And at that point, he said, Tuchel and Antonio Conte. That, that, was, that was who Guardiola had his eye on at that point. Well, Conte's just won Serie A. And um, here he is going head to head with the other guy in the Champions League final. So he's got a good eye for this kind of thing, hasn't he? But Mad that Pep Guardiola understands football. Respect. <laughs> Respect. But the flip, the thing is with it, like, because he, if, if he's had his eye on him for the last five years and Pep Guardiola will be watching a lot of football, you would like to think that he's kind of going to have a good idea of where he's going to go with this. And we mentioned, I can't remember if it was on this show or on the Patreon show about how Brendan Rodgers adapted quickly um, when he played against Chelsea in the FA Cup final. And Tuchel kept giving him these glances. Rodgers, in the early stage of that game, kept getting players over and having a quick chat with them, quite intense chats as well, where he's clearly giving direction and the players are taking it in and running back. And Tuchel's kind of got his hand on his chin, just staring like, what? 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 <laughs> and, uh, you know, Brendan Rodgers managed to come up with an idea on the on the day and, and it worked. And we definitely should not rule out Guardiola doing the same. I, I, Tuchel might have won, got the upper hand at this stage, but this is the one that matters so much. I, I think Guardiola might have the edge this time. Mm, we'll see. Um, Sam, what's the last reason that Chelsea should be confident? Yeah, final reason here is, and this is, you know, I put this last because this would be this would be the last deciding factor. And it's the fact that I think Chelsea have got the edge on penalties here. So if we do get to a point where <laughs> this game is decided by a shootout, you've got Manchester City who have struggled to find a reliable penalty taker all season long. We even got to the point not that long ago where we were baying for Edison to take spot kicks because oh. so many of these players had been inconsistent from the spot. Gundogan, Kevin De Bruyne, Sergio Aguero, they've all missed spot kicks this season. Mm. Chelsea have a series of very good penalty takers and a big shout out to a friend of the pod, Ben Littleton here, who does a weekly newsletter about penalties and it is fantastic and he's gone through and taken a look at all of Chelsea's last few shootouts and he's taken a look at who they would have on the pitch to step up if necessary and he's basically pinpointed the fact that Jorginho is 8 of 11 this season Timo Werner despite his glaring misses from 2 yards is actually pretty decent from 12 because he has 3 out of 4 Mason Mount has been relatively reliable as Piliqueta and Emerson of all people have never taken open play penalties as in inside 90 minutes, but 
very reliable options from shootouts. Giroud can take him. Kai Havertz was seven out of seven at his mm. time at Bayer Leverkusen. And Pulisic is two for two for the USA. And you've got Tammy Abraham's also got a very good record. Got He's not going to play. Seven. I wouldn't worry about Tammy. <laughs> okay, don't worry. Ziyech, not so great. But ultimately, you've got, wow. you've, got a, you've got a really strong set here. Ben actually comes up with his top five of, if they're on the pitch, Jorginho, Kai Havertz, Azpilicueta, Mason Mount, and, uh, and Giroud. Now, that's that cluster of players versus whatever city you've got, mm. if they were to walk into a shootout, uh, shootout for this, I would back Chelsea. Like, if mm. I had to put money on it from the, from the first spot kick, I'd back Chelsea. And that is an edge. Like, that in a game that we expect to be very tight, very tactical, could go all the way. This is an advantage. Wow, we're recording this a week before the Champions League final. We already know that Chelsea are playing for penalties. That is proper <laughs> insight, that is. Um, I have. There is a point that I would add to this, perhaps, Sam. Um, it is the level, the weight of expectation. Um, we've said for years that this is kind of City's final frontier, right? It's the one world they haven't conquered in, in some ways. You know, they've won everything else at a canter. Um, but there's always been this kind of thing that's hanging over them about winning the Champions League, right? About winning the, the top competition in Europe uh, and, and cementing themselves amongst the elite. Now, not only have Chelsea already won this competition, you know, not only have they already lifted the trophy, done it, been there over the line, also, you know, won the Europa League on a couple of occasions. They've done it in finals. They've won it in European finals of late. Um, but also, I was really worried on, on the show last week about the fact that I thought that if Chelsea didn't qualify for the Champions League in, in the regular season by finishing fourth, that the pressure of this would actually get on top of them. Now, they have qualified for the Champions League in, in regular time, if you will. Um, they have qualified through a league position. That means that this isn't as crucial to them in terms of budget, in terms of looking at next season. And suddenly, the weight comes off the shoulders a little bit, right? It's like, look, we've kind of defied expectations to get back into the top four, to get to the Champions League final. Yes, of course, they're going to want to win. I'm not, not suggesting by any stretch of the imagination that they're going to look at this as a free hit, because they won't. But there is less kind of riding on it. It's not that this is the one that cements Chelsea in the elite tier, right? And, and I think for City, there is that pressure. And this is maybe an advantage I would hand Chelsea's way, that they are now looking at this and going, we're the underdogs. No one hugely expects us to win this tournament. You know, City have never won it. They, their fans want this one. The, the club, actually, more than anything in the world, wants this one. The ownership wants this one more than any other. They want to be recognised as part of that European elite, full stop. And I think there is an element that the pressure on City as opposed to the pressure on Chelsea is something that weighs heavily in Chelsea's favour. Maybe. I, I don't think I'm quite as convinced as you that it, it moves the needle as much because okay. this is already like a gargantuan game. It's the biggest one in the domestic calendar and the pressure will already be absolutely ridiculous on both sides flat out. So maybe it does factor. I would say maybe only like five or 10%, but I guess that's an edge. If I'm, if I'm calling penalties an edge, then the 10% less pressure is an edge. It's bad news for City that though, mate, because um, we've now got four reasons for Chelsea to be confident, <laughs> but we only have three for City. Well, I think one of your ones for City is going to cancel out one of your ones for Chelsea. So let's get on to them and see how All we right, go. Fine. All right. Reasons for City to be confident. And the first one I'm going to present here is fine. They've been beaten twice by Chelsea recently. But does that even matter? We'll go back over slightly old ground very quickly. The last game they played, back three, Pep Guardiola didn't care. Nathan Ake, centre-back, 
Benjamin Mendy at wing back. I don't think his focus was on that game. <laughs> Time before that, FA Cup semi-final. Gabby Jesus, Raheem Sterling, among five or six players starting that game that I would be very surprised if they started this game. So I'm not suggesting that Pep Guardiola is out here throwing FA Cup semi-finals. However, has he shown Tuchel what he wants to be seen? And have Chelsea come up against and beaten anything like what City are about to put onto the pitch in Portugal on Saturday night? I would argue probably not. And therefore... Yes, Chelsea get that, that, that bit of confidence from beating this team twice. But does he, do you kind of flip that on its head and say, well, it doesn't matter? Because De Bruyne, Gundogan, Bernardo Silva, Morris, the boys are going to settle in for this one. And when the boys play, City win. Okay. All right. That's a, that's a, yeah, that's a statement of intent. Yeah, DJ, yeah. I mean, your thoughts? It's true. We haven't, we haven't seen Man City's best lineup up against Chelsea this season. And um, I, th- I think it definitely works in Man City's favour because, you know, while Chelsea can take confidence in the fact that they've got the the edge on them and results wise, it doesn't really matter because you're not pl- coming up against the same team here and it's not the same occasion. So I kind of, I'm not really paying too much attention to it. Like even back in earlier in the season when Chelsea were beaten three, one by Man City, like look at the lineup from that day. It's not the team that's going to be facing them to, you know, it, there's quite a few of them, but you know, Stefan was in goal. Raheem Sterling played the false nine. Like, it's not going to be the team. So certainly Man City are going to be stronger than any team that Chelsea have a carp against so far this season. Okay. All right, Sam, let's move into number two then, shall we? Yeah, you know me. You know me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big lover of detailed tactical analysis and in-depth statistical looks. But sometimes, you know, I also like to keep it quite simple. And for these next two few minutes, I am going to keep it simple. Manchester City are the better of these two teams. They have better players Mm -hmm. and usually (laughs) in football the best team with the best players wins and i'm so sorry for making it that basic but you know this is this is something i say a lot i'm only being true to my this was 100 one of the reasons i said the man united should be confident last week so i i feel like i feel like you can it's only fair that you could yeah i mean i think i probably i probably took my lead from you there i mean it it, sometimes it is that simple and yes obviously a football game is a is a is a million it's a billion random actions and anything can happen particularly when sides of this caliber meet but more often than not in football history the better team will win the game and we were pretty confident in Manchester United getting all the way through to the Europa League final and I've suggested that they'll win it in the final as a result of having a better team and I feel I feel like that also applies to any other favorite in a competition and like, yes, there's always these myriad concerns undermining it. Jack, you bring up the pressures. I can't uh, wait for people to be listening to this on Thursday morning after Villarreal have lifted the trophy and be like, ah, oh, Sam Ty doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> yes, well, you know, I'm not ruling out a Villarreal win. <laughs> <laughs> but, and you know, I have to apologise again that it is that simple. Um, but it, sometimes it really is that simple. And City, City are the favourites for this game because they are probably the more cohesive unit. They have fewer selection dilemmas. They have better players. And the timing really feels right on this one. They feel like the best team in the world. They do. Yeah, they do. Yeah, I think there's... I guess the only thing I would wonder is who is, is De Bruyne going to, for example, play through the middle up front? Like, are they going to, are they going to go for that? But I think, you know, you look at the quarterfinals and the semifinals, they've beaten Dortmund and PSG to get into this final and... They've done it pretty convincingly. I think the, the performances that they've put in across those four matches have been outstanding. Throughout the Champions League, they've 
they've barely conceded a goal, have they, so far this season? Um, from the centre-back pair into the, the influence of the wing-backs to the understanding of whichever um, forward line you put in place. And then the likes of Gundogan and Bernardo Silva dropping in and, and picking up the pieces around the edge of the box or drifting into those those late positions around the edge of the box. Like there's so many different combinations you've got to look out for. And the, also the depth of the understanding in this team is something that you probably need to factor in as well. Chelsea have chopped and changed systems, managers, players. They've spent a huge outlay on transfers last season. There's, well, big pressure to deliver on that front. And, and Man City have this ingrained DNA. You know what you're getting from them in this final. You actually haven't seen it so much in the games they've played against Chelsea this season, but you will see it in the Champions League final. We know what we're getting here. And they will put full belief into that system, into that style of play for these 90 minutes in the belief that, yeah, they've shown so far this season that they are the best team in the world. So let's prove it on the biggest stage of all with Pep Guardiola as your coach. Like, this is it. This is the moment Pep rises again. Yeah, well, if it happens, then it's going to happen as as you predicted. Um, there's one more, though, Sam, that I'm expecting you to deliver here. What's at number one? Yeah, so say it doesn't quite go to plan for City. Say they go a goal down or they can't crack through Chelsea and they're not living up to their tag of favourites. Well, I guess one of the reasons we do hold them in such high esteem here is that the game-changing options off this bench are absolutely ridiculous, not just in terms of quality, but in terms of like storyline as well. There's something really, really drawing me to this. And let's say that we expect Foden to play off the left and we expect Mahrez to play off the right. And it could be Bernardo Silva, it could be Gundogan, it could be Kevin De Bruyne, but one of those will be is the, the false nine and the other two will be in midfield, probably with Fernandinho or Rodri. That means that if you need a goal, if you need someone to come in and make an impact and you bear in mind these finals, these tight affairs, they are won by moments. They're won by individuals at times. Raheem Sterling, step off the bench, 10 goals, seven assists in 28 Premier League starts this season. Gabriel Jesus, step off the bench, nine goals, four assists in 22 starts. Brazil international, a, a brilliant number nine, who's just somehow like third, fourth choice in this team. Ferran Torres, Step off the bench, seven goals, two assists in 15 Premier League starts this season. Sergio Aguero. Don't even run the numbers. Step off the bench. One billion goals <laughs> this year alone. Sergio Aguero, step off the bench. The fairy tale ending. And uh, I'm a sucker for a narrative. Jack, since I met you, my opinion of these things and the, my, the way I look at these things has changed dramatically. And I just have had this kind of effect on you, to be honest, my friend. And I just, I just, yeah, I just, if if either of these two teams are in a position where they need to change things, like obviously they've both got fantastic options. We we said at the top about Chelsea. Oh, shall we play Havertz? Shall we play Giroud? Like the city's city's storyline and strength and depth here, I think, is absolutely sensational. And if it doesn't go right with Plan A, I think Plan B is so good too. Yeah, yeah. No, I I think that's fair enough. Um, There are just incredible myriad options to, to pep and and i guess the you, you just look at that and go can that be stopped um when when everyone's on form when everyone's on song and and i suppose I, I suppose if you're a chelsea fan and you're listening to this and 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 the look is you just hope that it doesn't you know it doesn't go to plan that you look at it and you think maybe city don't find the groove that night i, I think it's, it's probably unlikely but given the weight of expectation given the final that's where you've got to be if you're a city fan all you've got to do is say we hope that we play to our potential if we play to our potential we almost certainly win this game 
that's that's where it's at and 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 I suppose that's it's a, it's a funny place to be in from from both sides but it is that is finals in so many ways is always always usually someone who's the favorite and someone who's the underdog and and, and things happen in finals that, that mean these are the occasions we look forward to right that's that's what what's made the game so exciting um, and with that and after saying this is basically unpredictable i'm going to ask you for some predictions so um dj do you want to start us off oh i'm gonna have to go for man city 2-1 i think 2-1 sam mm. i'm gonna go 1-0 to city well if city score twice they win because chelsea only ever score one goal in a game right that's the rules that's um, true yep. that, that is how it works I, I'm less convinced. I think this is going to extra time minimum, um, potentially pens. And Sam has well, just you know who has the edge on pens. Yeah, and Sam has just put loads of doubt in my head about about City winning this. If this goes all the way, um, I, I think the obvious choice is to pick City here, um, as you said. But I, I don't like all of us going the same way. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that I'm more concerned about that weight of expectation than either of you seem to be. Um, yeah. I think there's a like a chance that City freeze here. I think there's a chance. I think it's probably still relatively slim, but 10-15% that City freeze. And if they do that, I think Chelsea will take advantage. Um, so I'm going to go Chelsea on penalties. I like it. You went Villarreal where we went Man United. You've gone Chelsea where we've gone City. I like also it. finished bottom of the prediction league in Patreon. Yeah, but that's normally because I go with my heart and not my head. That is very much not a heart prediction. That is very much a head one. Fair enough. Fair so enough. Go with that. You bring you bring great balance to the podcast. Yeah, you were supposed to bring balance to the force. Um, <laughs> that is me. I am. I am the Jedi. And um, right after the break, we're going to be coming back for Melon and the gibberish rankings. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Welcome back to the Ranks FC podcast, this final part. And normally I would say it's time for my favourite part of the week. But actually it's time for my favourite part of the season. It's time for Melon of the Season. <laughs> this season's Melon of the Season is Hector Bellerin. Never forget. Never forget <laughs> the mark that he made on this season. His contribution to 2020-21 was an unfathomable foul-throwing record. Unreal. I this was last year. That's how long ago this is. It, it was this like season, lads. Season. This is why it's Melon of the Season, to remind everyone that Hector Bellerin made history this year. Seven this foul throws, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. I was just trying to find. There's actually not a great website that marks up foul throws that I've been able to come across. But even if we just consider where we were in December, um, when Hector Bellerin racked up his fifth of the season, um, at that point, he had produced more foul throws than any other player in Europe. History. <laughs> yeah, in Europe at that point. Um, but yeah, for something that you know most eight-year-old kids can do. Um, Hector Bellerin seriously, seriously struggled with. And um, yeah, there was there was at that point, there had been 16 foul throws in the Premier League in December. And um yeah, Hector Bellerin accounted for 31% of them. <laughs> it was it was just an unbelievable record. And do you remember on that 
one against Tottenham. He took it and you could you could hear him <laughs> shouting at the ref like, what do you mean I'm doing it wrong? Um, <laughs> it's like, well, mate, it's the fifth time you've been called out this season. Like Gary Neville saying he hasn't seen a foul throw since 1990 or something like that. Like um, it was... It was just such a melanish run he went on. I mean, he does seem to... He's either eased off on the throw-ins in the second half of the They season. don't let him take them anymore, I don't think. <laughs> I think that's the he, case. Callum Chambers takes them now. Hasn't yeah. really hasn't really cropped up much since, since this calendar year began. But yeah. Um, ultimately, yeah, in a season that's been a pretty much a nightmare for Arsenal, no European football, storylines all over the place. They've won Melon of the Week more than any other club. Um, but Hector Bellerin might as well have been throwing a melon onto the pitch because that's what he is. <laughs> it's it's a really weird one, isn't it? Because Hector Bellerin is is clearly like a really nice bloke with Absolute like really good morals. I'd love to interview him one day. But he's I think he's a great guy. But I, I mean, we'll have to bring this up now. But like, you won melon of the season once for consecutive foul throws in three separate games. Um, two yeah. in one game, if I'm not mistaken. Two in one game. There was two yeah. in one game. Uh, yeah. Just remarkable, remarkable record. Um, and so um, it is with great sadness that our award. Hector Bellerin just, the just a question here. I, like, I'm not coming to his defence because the rules are the rules and he should know them but do you think that the rules on throw-ins are a bit dumb no because no one ever gets called out for foul throws you have to do a proper it's dumb throw to, hey, to I'm not saying it's difficult and I'm not defending him but I just think that like the actual rule is stupid like mm. the way they, they the way they judge throws and what is okay and what's not I just don't really understand why they do it the way they do I think we should do kick-ins I, I think it should be overarm like just one hand <laughs> overarm throws like a bowl like, like a cricket bowl yeah <laughs> that's um yeah, no, just I mean, for the carabao cup we'll introduce that in the carabao cup and see how it goes carabao like, cup yeah. kick-ins are absolutely the future um, <laughs> that, that that is how we must and multi-ball yeah, multi-ball. yeah, yeah, yeah. um that's how we're going in the carabao right <laughs> In honour of Sam's new car, we've made it a little bit more mechanical, the gibberish iron this week. Um, so, Sam, it's time for the gibberish rankings. Sure. Um, well, Dean, you've not done a melon of the week. You've done a melon of the season. But there's still time to crown a melon of the week. And my gibberish ranking this week is entitled Three Reasons Why I Deserve Melon of the Week oh, This Week. Okay. So pop the champagne on ice, Hector. Because at number three, we've got, we'll call it a bold claim about the month of May. Back in the BR football ranks days, I ranked the best months of the year. And those of you that remember very well, Jack, Dean, and our guest of the day, Josh Denzel, were pretty perplexed when I said that the best month was May. Now, I referenced the end of the season drama, the fact that it's the Champions League and Europa League final, which is obviously very fair. But quite crucially, it's quite a big part of my argument. I said the weather's really good. Well, we're just coming to the end of an absolute disaster of a month of of weather in England. It's been, it's been a joke. So bad. It's been I like wet. the rain and it's been ridiculous. It's been wet and miserable and windy. It's been absolutely awful. So I basically said that June's weather is like low-key overrated and that May's weather is underrated. I'm sorry. I got it wrong. I mean, I don't, my sincere apologies to to you, the, the listener, to Jack, to Dean and to Josh and to June. Yeah, just to June in general. Like, really, I'm mate. really sorry. Um, I got it wrong. At number two, 
is something we'll title Wrong Day, Wrong Time. Uh, last week, I got a very exciting email. I'd waited about six weeks for it. It said, Mr. Ty, your lease car is ready to be delivered. When can you receive it? Finally, got myself a car, a bit of mobility, a bit of freedom. I put the age order in that ages ago, but it got delayed due to COVID. Then it got stuck at the port for two weeks when it got imported. That was chaos. Anyway, it's ready. When can you take it? I said, any time, any day, no worries. Soon as physically possible, give me this car. So I say, okay. We'll deliver it to you on the 25th. Be available nine till five. We'll call you an hour before. Get the insurance sorted for that day. So Monday morning, I wake up and I'm expecting a car. I start off really excited. Then I get really panicked because I forgot to do the insurance. So you boys remember on Monday morning, I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I can record in a minute. I just got to do my insurance. Cram that in first thing. Then we're recording the Patreon Postbox episode. And I'm saying, boys, remember, if I get a call, I have to take it. I was very clear. It's a very serious. I have to take this call. I'm expecting an important call. There's no call. There's nothing. I sit in, I'm patient, I wait. It gets to about 3 p.m. And I'm like, what the hell has happened here? I ring the lease car company. Where's my car? It's coming tomorrow as per the instruction. <laughs> what do you mean? 25th. Today's the 25th. Today's Today is the 24th. So. Tomorrow's the 25th. Get this man a calendar and slap him in the face. What a stupid way to Oof. spend an afternoon. Yeah. Waiting for a call that's literally never coming. Fantastic. Brilliant. Yeah. Very you. Very yeah, it is very much. And at number one is the episode I had with my chips at the weekend. I was pulling a tray of chips or fries for our uh, American listeners out of the oven and the rack underneath in the oven came loose. And as I tried to steady the rack and stop it from pulling forward off the rail, it changed the angle that I was holding the baking tray at. And I dropped approximately half of my chips into the bottom of the oven where the hinge mechanism is. You know, that bit at the bottom where yeah. it goes like there's this like a Nightmare. cupboard bit and there's a hinge bit. And I, I can't really explain like why I did what I did next. Maybe it was like I was shocked or, or the fact that the oven was losing heat and the fact that there were other things cooking in the oven. You know, when you start to panic at losing heat in the oven. My immediate reflex was just to shut the door. I just shut the oven door immediately and then just stood there for a couple of seconds and looked at the oven and was like, I've still got to get everything in the oven out. And there's that smashed potato everywhere. I open the oven door, look at the bottom, and half of my chips have become mashed potato crusted into the hinge of the oven. So I stand there with the oven door open, losing all of that heat I was worried about as I pick chips out of the bottom with a combination of a fork and a spoon, standing there the whole time wondering, why did I do this? Yeah, why am I such a Muppet? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, fair enough. I mean, you you are Melon of the Week. Uh, no one has done... <laughs> yeah, that is pretty Melonish stuff. That's I've three. You could win them for each of those individually, I'd argue, and you, you've managed to do all three of them within the space of a week. So yeah. congratulations, Sam. Um, remarkable from you uh, as yeah. to why you are a gigantic melon. Fitting that it comes in May as well. Yeah, May that so it comes in May. Right. I, I mean, that's put me on a bit of a downer. I feel a bit sad for you, if anything. But I hope that you listening at home have enjoyed this episode. Hope that your Champions League preview uh, has been as enlightening as you would have hoped and that you enjoyed things we love as well. All that's left for me to do is say thank you very much, Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much, Sam Ty. Cheers, buddy. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. We will see you next week as we head towards the European Championships. Now, there might well be one more episode looking back at the best and worst bits of this season before we head into those Euros. But we'll make that clear as we go along. We'll see you next week, gang. Take it easy. Peace.
Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. 